I see Willie Hedron's work as being a conduit between mural work, graffiti work, and the fine art world. And I think that that has been very important in shaping the way that we view Chicano works and works made in the public format. This whole anti-graffiti attitude was major. And the way that I felt that I was communicating to the homeboys, communicating to that lifestyle that my brothers were involved in and that influenced me in the first place to create the wall that cracked open was that uh, incorporating the graffiti and the graffiti becoming an integral part of the work of art like the plume serpent. Hi, and welcome to Articulated. I'm Ben Gillespie. I work as the oral historian here at the Archives of American Art. This podcast receives support from the Alice L. Walton Foundation. Since 1958, the Archives of American Art has been building the largest collection of oral histories related to the visual arts in the world. These more than 2,500 long-form interviews give witness to history as it unfolded through the voices of the figures who shaped and reimagined it. This episode is the sixth in a series of six, each curated by a contemporary artist in response to and in conversation with past speakers from the Archives Oral History Program. Our guest is Naniba Chacon. Hi, my name is Naniba Chacon. I am an artist, muralist, a painter, and an illustrator. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and also from the Navajo Nation. The majority of the work that I create is public work pieces in the form of murals, and a lot of that is community-engaged work. I enjoy creating this work because I like bringing in landscape. I like bringing in people and culture into the context of the work and being able to have work that's 100% accessible. This way of creating work has always been at the forefront of my philosophies on why, to, why I wanted to become an artist. Chacon spent time with the oral history of Willie Horon, an East Los Angeles-based muralist and musician known for his community outreach and enrichment, as well as his innovation with graffiti's graphic lexicon. Haron was interviewed by Jeffrey Rangel in 2000. Listen to history through Nani Bachacon's headphones. Willie Heron was born in 1951, and he has had an art career that has spanned over 40 years and spanned outside of mural making. His artistic career includes conceptual art and music, performance art, mural, as well as other public artworks. One of the areas that I feel Heron is most known for is being one of the founding members of OSCO. OSCO was an L.A. artist collective whose members included Patsy Valdez, Gronk, Henry Gamboa, and they were all influential Chicano-Chicana artists in their own right. Heron's work, I think, because of these different avenues that his work went into, it didn't only stay within mural work, but breached into all of these different areas, was able to speak and kind of infiltrate many, many different types of people and movements um, within and beyond Chicano culture itself. Of course, his work is seen uh, not only in Los Angeles, his mural works are still preserved and still reside there, but his contemporary works can see be seen globally. I see Willie Heron's work as being a conduit between mural work, 
graffiti work and the fine art world. And I think that that has been very important in shaping the way that we view Chicano works and works made in the public format. He makes very clear distinctions on why it's important to make work that's in the public realm, very pure and very indicative of the places that they reside. And his ability to capture the landscapes and the environments that he creates his work in and not make it contrived, not make it about making his own statement, but rather rather kind of weaving in the stories that are already integrated into those landscapes, into the imagery and into the context of the work. It's very important. It's almost that he's saying that that his work is in conversation with the landscape and with the people and with the concepts that are already that are already residing there. And that his murals and that his ideas around that aren't to be an authority on any of the topics or the subjects, but rather to add to the conversation of the community. What I thought was the most interesting about his early childhood and its relationship to the mural making process is his emphasis on how his grandparents were pachucos. And I think understanding that his his voice as a young brown person, of course, was very nomadic and it traveled all of these different places. And he was able to gather up all of these experiences. But to look at his grandparents and understand that they were pachucos and kind of lived within that subculture, I think, is really understanding that when we have a voice and when we're able to define our voice, that it takes an ounce of bravery and rebellion, I think, to really find that. And I think a lot of the pachuco culture was really about defining that. It was understanding that aside from being from being brown, from being an immigrant, from being migratory, from kind of living within a country that seems to reject you, even though you are indigenous to this landscape more than those that reject you out of it, that you still find ways, as, ways to breach and define your own culture and your ways of being. What I think about his mural work that is important is that he has never attempted to erase the landscapes and not acknowledge the landscapes where the work resides. A lot of mural work often refers to histories, reciting the history. A history is basically the, the greatest story ever told by millions and millions of people. So there is never a truth to any history. His work as a muralist always refrained from recollecting any any one history. Instead, it it integrated all histories. It integrated his own history, his own background, his own observations, and his own learnings, but also what was contemporary and what was there, and also the presence of what was already happening on walls and what was happening around him and kind of integrated into an entire mesh of, of ideas and concepts. I spent a lot of time, uh, my parents were divorced when I was eight years old, so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandfather, originally from Chihuahua, and my grandmother, uh, American Indian from, uh, from uh, Northern California. And so um, they had a great deal of influence on me uh, growing up for the mere reason that they were a very tight, very, uh, very close-knit 
relationship where I didn't have that. I didn't feel like I like I felt like I belonged with my mom, and I didn't feel like I belonged with my dad since they were separated. I kind of felt like like I didn't belong anywhere. So my grand my grandparents gave me that stability, gave me the the feeling like you know like I had something, and I I you know I came from some place. These and then when my mom kind of got on her feet. Uh, after the divorce, she started to work in downtown LA at a donut shop, and then we were able to afford to move into Maravilla Projects in the late 50s. So I spent uh, maybe a good, uh, a good three or four years going to uh, to the to the elementary school there in Belvedere Park, and then uh, because my mom was having, I guess, such a hardship with uh, with uh, supporting us. I opted to go and move uh, with my uncle uh, back east, who was in the military. So I spent several months in different states, traveling with him from station to station, uh, and going to different schools, all the way back to Georgia. Uh, so I spent about a year and a half with him, and in 1962, I won my first art award, and I was in the fifth grade, I believe, when I won my first state art award and that was in Kentucky uh, as an artist and uh, and that kind of uh, really propelled me into uh, making me feel really like uh, like I had something that I should I should follow through with yeah and I had got a lot of support from people I didn't know so where was the the uh, initial desire to start making art coming from I think it was a, a desire and a need to communicate, but not having anyone to communicate to. So I did a lot of, uh, I mean, I had extensive sketchbooks as a kid. I was already like Fifth developing grade. sketchbooks. Uh, yeah, and so when I did all that traveling for that year and a half with my Uncle George, I, I just my book was filled with landscapes, filled with, with animals, and just drawings of things that I saw. I, I really uh, uh, experienced all the seasons, which oh, yeah. I hadn't experienced up just to the age. Powerful. Yeah, I mean, you know, to walk through the snow, to, to, uh, to uh, be in heavy rainstorms while we're driving in the night, and uh, uh, lightning storms, and then seeing beautiful horizons. And I really became I think very, very sensitive to nature. And I think that really uh, fulfilled me in a way that I really couldn't explain. I just felt that it was a natural thing for me to, to pick up on that and to, and to want to document it. And it was all about everything happening around me, wanting to document it wow. as at an early age. I just felt a need to that. Themes right. developing in terms of you know murals and documenting right. what's going on around you. And, and being like so that. that nature is so huge, I mean it's like I mean you can't even you look one big. way. <laughs> everything is huge. That that was my natural instinct to create huge to art, to create huge pieces, yeah, and sense. and to me I still could create bigger works. I just, the opportunity doesn't come along to do anything any bigger. So I've worked as big as I've had the opportunity to work. Wow. Basically, so. So were there any teachers um, in those early years? Uh, going up to fifth grade, say? No. Or this is all self-taught? This is all self-taught. I basically went 
uh, the schools, once I was approaching further out of the, the like the edge of the Midwest, getting closer to, to Georgia uh, and uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, I spent very little time over there, but that's where I started to learn foreign languages in, in, uh, in elementary school, and I started to become more aware of things outside of uh, my Spanish-speaking home, where the way I was raised. I wasn't raised speaking English, I was raised uh -huh. speaking Spanish per, uh, predominantly. So uh, I had sort of a state of confusion with education because I didn't, I wasn't picking any of that up in school. I wasn't picking up the language we, I was used to growing up, and I wasn't picking up any of the history that I remember growing up and my grandparents talking to me about things that were that happened in Mexico, things that happened were happening in East LA. I, uh -huh. I my uncles were all involved in the zoot suit uh, period. My grandparents talked to me about the whole zoot suit period. Uh, and Do you remember what their take was on it? Well, their take was that it was it was basically uh, a political takeover, and and uh, and the Pachucos got got finger pointed basically as the troublemakers. They were the punks of that era, and they and everything that went wrong, they blamed the Pachucos. And and they were like the, the, the scapegoats to anything that was happening locally, and so were all the all the, 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 the pickers from, from across the border. So, I mean, and that's still an issue today, just that, you know, that now the, the Pachucos dress different. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coming from a graffiti background, I, going into being a muralist wasn't a first choice that I had thought of because I saw those worlds as being inherently very different. I felt like graffiti was this art form that emerged from the streets and it had a conversation with the streets. It had a conversation with youth and it seemed like it was its own language, its own culture, its own, it had its own ability to live kind of in isolation as its own culture. Murals, on the other hand, I think I always saw them as being something that was these sanctioned walls. It was kind of like an extension of, of maybe a larger community. And sometimes I didn't always see those images as reflective of the community. I saw them kind of having these nationalistic approaches to imagery or maybe having a narrative approach of history that sometimes seemed false or wasn't anything that I could relate to. Going into East L.A. and seeing murals that were reflective of Chicano culture, reflective of indigenous culture, reflective of movements was very, very influential because I understood them and I understood my placement of them. When I first had seen Willie's murals in City Terrace, parts of his murals, especially the wall that was cracked open piece, has integration of graffiti at the bottom of the mural itself. And for me, that was him not trying to cover up any parts or sections of the history of that landscape and of that street that had already existed. It was acknowledging the people that, that were in that vicinity and acknowledging their histories, their truths, their own 
levels of communication. And it was also something that I understood. It was, it was an integration and a weaving between the landscape, the culture, peoples, and language, and using that to form new ideas and have new connections. Even when looking at old masters of muralists, I think that, and even, even to now, that it became very reflective of whoever was commissioning the piece, whether that was a city or whether that was a school or an institution. To see his work starting as a muralist, but also being very free, was very inspirational. At that time, I think the cracked wall put me under, under the microscope. So, what do you mean? Because at that time, there was throughout the community this anti-graffiti, uh, which is still common today, this whole anti-graffiti attitude was major. And the way that I felt that I was communicating to the homeboys, communicating to that lifestyle that my brothers were involved in and that influenced me in the first place to create the wall that cracked open was that uh, incorporating the graffiti and the graffiti becoming an integral part of the work of art like the plume serpent also incorporated graffiti I was being criticized by the art world I was being criticized by other artists for the most part for incorporating graffiti rather than approaching muralism and approaching graffiti by using murals as a replacement and getting rid of the graffiti. That was the early murals from the early 70s, the late 60s, where artists were, were, were dealing with graffiti and were being hired in the early 70s to do murals was so they could get rid of and replace the graffiti. And I did not do that with my murals. I did the total opposite. I embraced graffiti and graffiti became part of my work because I respected the voice of the, of the, of the community. And I added to their voice. I didn't get rid of their voice and say, my voice is superior. Again, it's, that my, it's, the, it's the image that my uncles portrayed, that machismo, that street savvy with the intellect wanting to fuse rather than saying I'm better than this or you're better than that and we're separate. It's interesting because I think the way that there, there seems to be continue to be a lot of controversy about graffiti not only as an eyesore or a system of signification for youth and stuff like that but in terms of Chicano aesthetics, Chicano art aesthetics, I think Literature says that graffiti was one of the sources which artists of your generation were drawing from that inspired their work, that was, um, you know, incorporated into murals. And so on the one hand, there's this, this drive to cover it up with murals, to wipe it away, but right. then, on the other hand, there is a recognition of it and a, an evaluation of it where it's it's actually incorporated into the artwork you know right and if, in a different way that maybe it's replicated in the artwork rather than incorporated in the way that you're talking right. about with your work i wonder how all that's coexisting at the same time well you you know your circle of artists the 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 comment that comes to mind with what you just said right now is and you know and i have a lot of respect and for a lot of artists that were that were doing works before I came along and I continue to do, do works but I don't feel that compelled 
when I view a work of art that's a piece of canvas that was done in an, in an enclosed, controlled environment, and it incorporates that street savvy, I have a totally different perspective of it than, than the graffiti that is the real graffiti that was really painted by the real people that represents, and most of them aren't artists. In a traditional yeah, right. sense, they're yeah. not the type of artists that can show at MoCA, that can show at, at, uh, at LATC or, or at the university or at the museums. And then in the middle 70s, you had the Les Four exhibit where they incorporated graffiti in almost every single one of their pieces. It was very difficult for me at that time to look at it and for me to accept it as the way that I accepted the existing graffiti that was already part of the part of the landscape because it was because it was created consciously for the purpose of exhibition and and that approach just made it very difficult for me that when I attended along with Bronk and Harry and Patsy and they at that time I feel strong that they agreed with me they agreed with that idea which really I thanked Los Four for that. How so? Because they made me realize what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to end up from the cracked wall, the plume serpent, now I do, I'm doing graffiti incorporated paintings hanging at the museum. They did what I, it crystallized in my head that I definitely don't want to do that. I don't want to go there, I don't want my work to end up that way. That it was okay for them because they had degrees, they went to college, universities, and they had their degrees, and that's fine. There's a place for their interpretation and their reasoning for that having a purpose. But I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to be that in that circle, in that realm. So we, we costumed to the max. We painted our faces, we hung things from our bodies, and we went to that exhibit like we were going to a to a, to a costume party or like we were going trick-or-treating and we just went like 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 wanting people to to see some part of Chicano art that still didn't exist that wasn't in that show that we felt had to be in that show so we attended that exhibit the opening but we were moving works of art that then we became Asco became integrated into the Los Four opening the performance of we performed Without even with it, without even performing, it was there at, at uh, the LA County Museum. I mean, what was the reception of you guys? Oh, they were. I mean, people just like had all the same similar reaction like they did on the streets when we did our, a lot of our performances. They had some funny comment to make because they thought that we were funny. It wasn't like they thought of it as humor. Yeah, rather humor than rather than we were seriously trying to make a statement about Chicano and Chicano art, Chicanismo, and where it was headed with the exhibition of graffiti at the museum. I see. And so it wasn't really putting down those scores because we attended their, their opening in support of them. But like I said, for me, it, it crystallized that, I mean, I'll, I'll never do a graffiti painting because Los four, that's what they do. So I won't do that. And a lot of the times I think we forget that mural work is different from work that happens inside of a museum because it, the work inside of a museum is never 100% inclusive. Work on the streets is always 100% inclusive. Anyone can see it at any time. It's there, it's exposed. Um, it is not protected in any way. And I think that that differs in the way that you approach the work 
and the way your sensitivities of understanding how how you want to communicate these ideas. In some ways, it can be very freeing. In some ways, you have to be respectful of the people who are there and how their perceptions of it are going to change that work, are going to interact with that work. And I think that that makes it very vulnerable, a very vulnerable place to create work. And he talks about the vulnerability of creating work with his collaborators and with the other artists in Oscar. And I think that they were very cognizant of each of one another in creating this work, but that their work also played off one another. If the objective and the means of creating work in a public space is just to put up your own singular idea and have that work exist so everybody can see it, I think that it is similar to putting up a very large painting and a very large work to be admired. And it's not too much different than being in a gallery. I think if you put up a work with the intention of it being in conversation, conversation with the environment, conversation with people, maybe with youth that you are working with, with people that you interact with on the street, with graffiti or tags or markings on a building that are pre-existent, and you don't aim to cover those up, you aim to let them live and let them live as part of the piece, as part of preservation, then I think that you are creating a work that is exceptional and it extends beyond your ego. It extends beyond the limitations of your own ideas and the own, own conversation that you originally set out to have. It, it changes the work indefinitely. And I think that leaving space and room for that is what sets Willie's work apart from other muralists in time and really pushed mural making into having this ability to be fine art, but also to exist and acknowledge the people of a space. I think because primarily we worked in a, in a similar uh, medium uh, to say the pen and ink and the repudiograph approach to expressing ourselves was, uh, was the common thread. Uh, but the way we executed our imagery, I think there was uh, some, you know, some similarities. Sometimes it was very easy to say, okay, let's do a, a drawing together. For us to work on a drawing together made sense because our styles weren't so different that, like you're saying, you, it's hard sometimes to tell where Grunk left off and where I started off and maybe where Harry... Uh, left off and Grunk started or where Patsy left off and I started, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to tell. But that, I think when we started to, to become bored with staying separate and isolated from influencing each other, that's when we truly started to integrate our work together and truly become influenced by each other and not because oh, I see this Almaraz mural and I like this little section, so in my mural I'm going to do something that's kind of similar because I like that. But it was more like Almaraz calling me and saying, help me paint this section right here, and then me going and actually painting that section with him. There was, there's really a difference between uh, how we started off as a group and, and then how we evolved into actually working on the same pieces together. Even though in the beginning, when we were working separately, it seemed like we were influencing each other. We probably were, but not the same way as when we would actually draw on the same drawing. Uh -huh. 
And I think we did a lot of that. Grunk and I worked a lot together. Patsy and I worked on artworks together. Harry, all of us, we all painted together. We all drew together. And it was a completely different approach. And it wasn't traditional in that sense for, for four artists to work on one piece. And to me, that, that was the, what made it Chicano, was the idea that like like when I did the the mural the concept for the mural uh, for the uh, for the World Cup was the way the players are from different countries different ideas different nationalities and different people work together to achieve one goal uh, we felt that we were symbolizing Chicanos working together to achieve one goal and that's by working on the same work of art there was a there was a design the by that. Yeah, including the performance. It's like we were telling the world, Chicanos have to get together. We have to work together. We have to respect each other's differences, but we have to fuse together and become this integrated puzzle that's complex. And you have all these pieces, but they all create Ahora lo verás, the Mexicano drawing where there's like, you know, Brunk does five right. paces, I do three. He does some of the arms, I do some of the fingers. But it's all of us together creating the finished piece. Yeah. So to me, there was that symbolism without us being totally conscious of it. <laughs> That's cool, man. How old is that guy? <laughs> Give him a microphone. Exactly. He'll just like, he'll just like, oh, was that me? You know, it's just. Just got it. Yeah. I think one of the things that we are seeing right now in the form of, of mural making is this, this definition of understanding the place and placement of graffiti art and the place and placement of street art and the place and placement of mural art and then public art. And all of those, I think, are, are being defined and kind of pushed and pulled in different ways. And one thing that he makes a very clear distinction on is that if we are going to continue on and have this art form in a public, in a public format, all of these, all of these, whatever these are, works on walls are in a public format, that we also have to be teaching you how to communicate in these ways. And not necessarily that we should have any kind of jurisdiction on the kind of content that they're making, but that they understand that they have the tools and the knowledge to be able to create works like this, however they choose to do it. I feel like that is, again, you know, understanding art as revolution. It's one thing to be able to create work and have it exist on this very intellectual level. But if that work isn't, isn't reaching youth, youth is basically the ones that will carry on into the future. And, and they are the ones who are going to preserve this work, to understand this work, 
to continue and to create more ideas that are reflective of their communities and reflective of, of their own movements, that they also need to be included into this dialogue. The other part of that is that I think it's not recognized enough that a lot of what is communicated on walls was is originally started and appreciated by young people in coming from urban situations and understanding graffiti. Graffiti um, is an art movement that was created by children. And as these children mature, it's important that they have the skills and the know-how to continue on and express their ideas. And the organic nature of of the way that Willie learned to create work, of him, you know, not, you know, kind of being the self-led artist and being very observant of his environments, being very observant of, you know, everything, the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> around him. And understanding that all of that related to the conversations and the larger political conversations that were at stake, that it wasn't, you know, an, an us and them, it was all of us, it's everybody. And not one factor is, is above the other. So in bringing in, bringing in children into work and, and using it as a, as a tool to teach, as a tool to provide a way to communicate and to express ideas, I think is a, a revolutionary act. A large portion of mural making has always been about asserting political identity and about asserting revolution, about asserting having a public format to talk about concepts and ideas in a free format. And I think that that, to be able to teach that to kids, that whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, whatever they want to express is important and that it can be done through art, it can be done in a, in a visual manner, and it can be done in a way that everybody will see it, everybody will be, they may not hear your voice, your your literal voice in every, in every instance, or you may not have the bravery to be able to say all of the things that you want, but you can express them, and people will always feel that expression. And to be able to teach children that is a very important tool that I think carries that will carry us into the future. Uh, I think that the body of work that I created in the 70s came out of the desire to communicate change and to document things that seemed really obvious on the street, to document those things, but to also inspire change. For me, the, uh, the 90s made a big turnaround too with the whole invasion or the just the whole issue of the Persian Gulf uh, that whole uh, that was that was a very strong uh, uh, message to me that really was an event that took place that uh, that that sort of uh, retainted me in a sense that made me be start to become uh, more and more deeper involved with social issues and the way people just have this disregard for p other people and the, the whole idea of respect, the whole idea of getting to know other cultures and getting to know other people and giving them their 
their space and their room to to be who they are, where they came from, rather than this concept of everybody's got to blend and mix in and everybody has to eliminate some of their culture, eliminate some of their past in order to move into the future. Uh, all of those issues, and for me in the 90s, helped to create a, a person within me that is kind of a culmination of the 70s, a culmination of the 80s, and that's what the 90s was for me. So, and then now I'm dealing with really, really going back to the early 70s and working on projects and inspiring projects with the youths again. And I'm going, and I'm going for so full circle, beginning with the restoration of the wall that cracked open. So I'm like, it's 1972 all over again. <laughs> You know, but it's it's cool because, and I'm really, uh, I have a lot of energy about it because uh, I just feel that uh, it's a whole new generation. And now I'm, I'm in a position to educate where before in 72, I was a sponge and now I'm not a sponge. I'm kind of like squeezing myself and, 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 and putting, putting water on other sponges. You know, does your recommitment to you have anything to do with um, being a parent and raising your own daughter, children? I think it has something to do with that, but it also has a lot to do with feeling like I didn't belong and feeling uh, kind of disconnected as a child and growing up. I think it starts there. Whether I would have had children or not, in the early 70s when I was doing it, I just, uh, and working with, with children and, and youths that were having problems, it's because I could relate, because I grew up that way too. And I turned to the streets and I saw nothing but violence and nothing but drugs and nothing but things that, that, uh, that I don't know why to this day, I just wasn't, wasn't inspired to be that way. I was inspired to paint and to draw and to document it, but to, to send a message of hope and, and, and the fact that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you don't have to grow up this way. I, to me, that's been my plight and I feel that there are a lot of youths out there, if not more than when I was growing up, that need that and there's a need for people that have that compassion out there that don't need that yeah and that don't need to collect money for it I mean I don't feel compelled to be paid for it and that's another thing that why I have the motivation that I do is that I'm not looking to get paid for it but if I get commissioned to do projects those projects I need to include children to assist me because they get the experience while someone else covers me to do the work and to make sure it's done the right way professionally with the, from a person that experienced. But at the same time, I get to share that experience and that knowledge with the children. I think that's important. Is, is there a different um, approach to the murals, what you're trying to communicate in the murals, or is that the same approach, is that same uh, sense as wanting to communicate that uh, there as well, in that medium? Well, I think with my murals, uh, of course it depends on, it depends on the, uh, the commission and the, uh, the, the, 
the amount of liberty sometimes that I'm given as an artist by the by the people that are commissioning me or by the the organization uh, that has contacted me to produce a work of art often I'm like many other muralists probably could agree uh, or or maybe disagree that I find that today a lot of the murals uh, including some of my own have a tendency to have to deal with too much bureaucracy and too many people wanting these pieces, these public works of art, to be too much to too many people. And I think a lot of the murals have lost that, that oneness and that, that sense that some of my earlier works and some, some of the works that I've, that I've done uh, don't fall into that category. But uh, I just feel as a, as a whole, muralism has just taken a step towards being too commercial and that's the thing where i stopped for almost uh, eight or nine years i actually stopped doing murals and concentrated more on my music because i because again it seemed like i was having to come up with with new icons and new approaches and new concepts for muralism because everything was just becoming so commercialized. And uh, the problem being that a lot of the uh, corporate involvement and monies have been using these huge panels on the sides of buildings, and they're really, really uh, taking the whole concept of these huge paintings and commercializing them so that people don't want and don't embrace anything that that represents the people and represents the the political issues, the situations. So what I have been inspired to do, and uh, I'm uh, hopefully working on my going to be working on my second project, is to start uh, targeting uh, high risk communities and approaching institutions that are within that geographical city and presenting. Uh, high-risk youth programs and start to involve them in mural painting and start to recreate and regenerate new works of art that are by and from the youth with with my supervision and my and my and my control to be able to make sure that that comes across that the that the that the youths aren't overshadowed or overpowered by commercialism. So their message and their ideas of things out there really come out the way that uh, that's truly uh, uh, their voice, what they really want to say. And I feel that a lot of them are, are, are in an oppressed situation that there's a good possibility that we're going to see, we're going to see, you know, resurgence of revolution and resurgence all over again. And I really feel, yeah. Hi, I'm Jennifer Neal. I work as an archivist at the Archives of American Art. This podcast is produced by Ben Gillespie and Michelle Herman at the Archives of American Art. It was edited by the team at Better Lemon Creative Audio. Our music comes from Sound and Smoke, composed by Viet Quang and performed by the Peabody Wind Ensemble with Harlan Parker conducting. 
For show notes, works cited, and additional resources, visit aaa.si.edu slash articulated. The Archives is grateful to Naniba Chacon for her vision, scope, and spark. This guest-curated episode receives support from the Smithsonian American Women's History Initiative. If you enjoy Articulated, please consider rating and sharing it. The Archives of American Art at the Smithsonian Institution is a nonprofit organization that relies on donations from individuals like you to sustain our ongoing operations and special programs like Articulated. To support our work, please visit aaa.si.edu support. Thank you.